again. Welcome to the Sacred City Life Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean. This podcast is all about helping you follow Jesus and the everyday normal rhythms of life. I got three gentlemen on the podcast with me today. Guys, would you introduce yourselves? Kevin Kenora, biblical counselor. Sam Schmidt, pastor at Sacred City Moline. Alex Tate, Sacred City Youth Director. All right. Welcome back to the podcast, guys, and all of our listeners. We really do appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen to our podcast. We really do appreciate it. If you would like us and maybe rate us on whatever podcast app you're listening to us, helps other people find us. And uh, we're going to do something a little bit different today. I have, uh, well, I've recently read a book called Defenders of the West, The Christian Heroes Who Stood Against Islam, and I recommended it to the guys on the podcast, and so the guys started reading it. And this book is kind of doing two things at once. First off, Growing up, public education, you know, I took, um, you know, different courses and classes of history in college, and the only thing I ever heard about um, the Crusades was Mm -hmm. the Crusades were really bad, Mm -hmm. Christians were just as bad as any other regime in history, and Christians did really bad things, and remember the Crusades, remember the Crusades, and so I just kind of, you know believed that. I never studied it. We never, I never read anything from that. I just heard that kind of statement. And then I read a book a few years back by Rodney Stark on the Crusades, and he painted a completely different light. And he said, of course, because Christians are people, um, bad things happened in the Crusades, and some bad things happened, and there were some things that shouldn't have happened, and, you know, but the Christians were actually, or the Crusades were actually instigated mm. by the Muslims, by, by Islam. And they are, they are the ones who started invading and murdering and doing all these horrible things. And the Christians had to come to save other, other Christians. And that kind of opened my eyes, but I didn't, nobody's really talking about the Crusades that much. I didn't really think about it. Obama mentioned it one time in a speech, remember the Crusades, Christians do bad things too. But then this book came out and this book is interesting because uh, Raymond Ibrahim is both a you could call him a historian, but the great thing about him is he re, he can read in Arabic. And so what he does in this book is he goes back and he reads Arabic sources and mm-hmm. Western sources. Yep. And he'll, he'll quote both mm-hmm. what the Muslims said. So let's just say one battle happens and the Christians say we killed a thousand men and the Muslims say they killed 30,000 men, you know, and, uh, and he'll kind of, he'll just give both, both sides of the account, you know, because you don't, you know, this kind of stuff happens all the time. You know, right now, what's going on, you know, in the Gaza Strip? Yeah. Israel says we bombed this military target, and Hamas says they killed, you know, forty-two children. And you don't, you know, you don't hundred percent know who's telling the truth until, mm-hmm. you know, that can be proved. So one, this book is kind of meant to give us an accurate picture of the Crusades. Okay. But two, this book specifically focuses on the heroes of the Crusades, the men that were leading Christendom, were leading these battles. And now, why is that important? I think it's important for two reasons. Number one, our imagination shapes the type of people that we want to become. Mm. So, I mean, why do we think right now in all the movies, all the heroes are women? Right. Right. Every Marvel movie now, the men are turds and the women can walk into a room and kill 14 fully grown Mm. men, you know? Um, feminism, feminism is trying to do something that's contrary to nature. We all know that's not, no, no woman can do that. Right. But stories shape our souls, shape what we love Mm -hmm. and they give us, give us a picture of virtue and vice. And we're meant to pursue virtue and and be repelled by vice and and put to death the vice that's in us. Yeah. So this book, what we're, what we're going to do in this podcast is we're going to look at one hero each week. Mm -hmm from this book, Defenders of the West, men that I had never heard of, most of them I had never heard of. And now I am like, if I was going to have more kids, I'd be (laughs) naming my kids after these dudes. (laughs) That's cool. Absolutely amazing. So it it gives us heroes to kind of aspire to, but it also does something that is really important for us today. St. Augustine wrote in The City of God, he created what's called just war theory. Mm -hmm. He said, Christians are not meant to be just pacifists. We're meant to be able to protect ourselves, protect our own, and protect the weak. Mm -hmm. 
And that requires, if you want peace, it requires that you to go to war with evildoers, yeah. right? Yeah. And I don't mean evil in the sense of just like other religions, but if those other religions are, are trying to murder your people and attack your people, it's just to go to war with them to protect your people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's this modern sentiment that's just all over the evangelical church that the, the right thing for Christians to do is just turn the other cheek mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Now, in personal, my neighbor does something to me, mm-hmm. most of the time that the answer is to turn the other cheek. Right. But if I have armed guards charging into my house, the answer is not to turn the other cheek. To turn the other cheek would be to allow them to potentially rape and kill my family. Yeah. I'm supposed to, supposed to protect my loved ones, right? For sure. Well, just war theory is that extrapolated out to the nation, okay? And so this gives us a picture, and I'm going to use the word militant Christianity. Mm. Not we're wanting just to go conquer lands to spread Christendom, but we're willing to to take up arms when we have to. We're willing to fight back when we have to, to to protect the ones that we love, right? And so that's, it just, if you're specifically, the ladies might not like this too much, I'll just say it, (laughs) but men, these are some Christian heroes Mm -hmm. that you need to know about, Yeah. right? You need to know about, you know, these Christian men because the chaos of our age, we could be, you never know how far away this, this, reality is for us right. or for our children. So mm-hmm. our children need to, need to know about these people, right? Mm-hmm. So the first guy we're going to talk about is a guy I just called Duke Godfrey. And uh, before we jump into Duke Godfrey, a little bit of his life, why don't, Kevin, why don't you give us a little bit of background of how we got here, like, you know, how the crusades happened, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, from, from basically the fourth century when Rome began to Christianize, when, when the gospel went forth and, and the, the gradual shift started to happen, Jerusalem started to become, well, I mean, we call it the Holy Land today, right? That, that concept came from the Christianization of Rome. Um, and so it became this, this space where, obviously, Jesus lived. And so spent, let me push pause there. Yeah. So that's where, <clears throat> so Jerusalem, that's where Jesus lived and died and all that. Mm-hmm. But Christianity was a, was a persecuted minor religion, a little, little reli- a religious sect, mm-hmm. basically, yep. in that area. Mm. But then after Christ is resurrected and his disciples get empowered with the Holy Spirit, they go out preaching the gospel right. and thousands upon thousands of people. We see it in the book of Acts, 3,000 people get saved on the day of Pentecost. Yep. And then Paul's spreading the gospel all over and thousands upon thousands of people are, are getting Christianized. Mm-hmm. Now, it's important to remember Christianity has a long history, like not just back, but history, like looking forward, like make disciples of all nations. Jesus wasn't expecting that to happen in a day or Mm. or two days. And so what eventually happens is Christianity starts taking over the Roman empire, not through the use of sword, Mm -hmm. not forced conversion, but through preaching the gospel and showing them a better way to live following God's ways and offering them a, a better God and a better salvation. Yeah. And what that does is Christ becomes Lord of that nation, in a sense, or nations mm-hmm. or empire, or what do you want to say? And Christians are known as atheists at this time, meaning that they only thought there was one God, right. atheist, because Roman gods, you know, weren't Roman gods, Greek gods, that was all pluralism. Well, Christianity begins, begins to take over. Eventually, this culminates in um, the emperor Constantine converting to Christianity. And first off, Christianity became legal about a hundred years before that, mm-hmm. and then it spread even you know spread even faster once it was legal. And then Constantine gets converted, and now he says, "This is a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. We're going to make our laws according to Christian principles, and we are officially a Christian nation." This awesome. happened with Constantine. Okay, then after that is where where we pick up right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Constantine rises to power. Hey, this is a Christian nation, and then orders the erection of something called the the Holy Sepulchre. Mm-hmm. And this was a massive complex of of temples. And um, historically, we we believe it was erected over the site of Christ's burial. And so it was it was big enough that it's also commonly believed that it includes Golgotha, so the place where Christ was crucified. Um, so. You know, they they build that, and then about 300 years after Constantine's death, um, 
the Arabs actually unify under the banner of Islam. So they, they come, they conquer Jerusalem. So we've talked about that Islam began in the six to seven hundreds, mm -hmm. right? Or something around there. Yep. And so this is a totally new religion. You know, Muhammad, Muhammad starts it, invents it, tries to use pieces of Christianity, tries to use pieces of Judaism. And, but it's a violent religion. Absolutely. Okay, Muhammad was a violent man. Right, so it, it has jihad in the Quran. Yeah. Okay, now we're not saying that all Arabs believe this, all Muslims believe this, um, because there are what we would call moderate Muslims, mm -hmm. but the militant Muslims believe the moderate Muslims are sellouts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and 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 so Islam was violent from its very beginning. Absolutely. Okay, and then what happens um, after Constantine's death? Um, so after Constantine's death, the Arabs unify under the banner of Islam. They end up conquering Jerusalem. I think it was about 637 BC or AD, sorry, AD. Um, and so this, this leads obviously to generations of persecution um, against the Christians at the hands of the Muslims. And so basically in this time when Jerusalem's conquered, Christians have three options. You can be tortured and killed. You can convert to Islam, right? We've talked about conversion at the edge of the sword. Yep. Or you can become something called a Dhimmi, I'm probably butchering mm -hmm. that, D-H-I-M-M-I-S. And so these were, were conquered non-Muslims. Basically, you say, okay, Islam is the, the law of the, the country. I'm not going to be a Muslim. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pay... Um, Jiza. Jiza, right? Which is essentially, it's a required payment or compensation for, to, the, to the government for the blessing of permitting you to live. Right. Yeah. Later on, this was called it, when they did when Christians had to do this with the Danes. It was called the Dane Guild. Basically, you, we're paying you not to kill us. Yeah. We're, we're paying. We're going to pay you to let us live here. Mm -hmm. And the payment wasn't like a nice little tax. Yeah. It was whatever they wanted yeah. it to be. Right. Later on, we're going to learn about some of these payments to Christian kings. The, they would, when the Muslims would conquer a Christian kingdom, they would say, "We want your two children," mm -hmm. and the the king. Or they were either going to kill all the people in the country. Or the king had to give over two of his children to the, yep. to the, to the Muslim king. And he wow. did many, many times. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And so it's kind of a, a, you know, modern America, we might think like the mob mentality, right? The, hey, you want protection? Quote, unquote, protection. Um, you, you have to pay us this money. It was, it was a form of extortion. And the, the real thing about it is it wasn't legally binding. So a ruler could say, Hey, I want your two kids and then come back later and say, Hey, actually I want your wife too. Yep. Um, and it, it differed greatly ruler to ruler. Right. So there's, there was no actual comfort. It was just extortion, um, start to finish. And so the, the sepulcher get back to that. It was considered one of Christendom's most sacred churches. And so, so Christendom, that title, the title Christendom means basically, any country, empire ruled by Christians would be under Christendom. Mm -hmm. So there, there's, when you think of Christendom, it's not one singular kingdom. You've you got, a, you know, Christian kingdoms all over at, at this time, and they were unified. We're all Christians. Now, it didn't always go well. Kings, you know, fought against other kings and stuff. You know, you got blood feuds and all kind of stupid stuff going on. That's not Christen, mm -hmm. Christian, but that's what Christendom is. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And so, fall of Jerusalem, the, the influx of Islam, it leads to, I think it was about 936, so roughly 300 years later, the pillaging of the church, it was burned down, along with roughly 30,000, it's estimated about 30,000 other churches throughout Egypt and Syria. And so these were at the hands of a guy, Fatimid Caliph Hakim B. Amr Allah. Yeah, so it's hear that, Hakim ordered the destruction, uh, this is according to Muslim accounts, mm -hmm some 30,000 churches throughout Egypt and greater Syria. Yes. Wow. 30,000 churches this Muslim king ordered destroyed. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And and just to just to give a feel, this is at a different point, but in 1701 there no, was No, no, no. No. 1071. 1071. I I typed it wrong. I'm yeah. sorry guys. There was a, a sultan who called his people to quote run throughout the countryside day and night, slaying Christians and not sparing any mercy on the Roman nation. Yeah. It says cities were obliterated, mm -hmm. lands were plundered, and the whole of Romeo, this is Anatolia, mm -hmm. was stained with Christian bl blood. Yeah. 
writes the Eastern Roman princess Anna Comine. Listen to this. All that was left were devastated fields, trees cut down, mutilated corpses, and towns driven mad by fear or in flames. Mm -hmm. Like the Armenians before them, hundreds of thousands of Anatolian Greek-speaking Christians were massacred, enslaved, or compelled to convert to Islam. Mm -hmm. This later point was recently confirmed by DNA studies. Not only did the Muslim invaders defile the holy places in numerous ways and destroy them, continued the emperor, but they would circumcise Christian boys and youths above Christian baptismal fonts, pour the blood from the circumcision into the fonts in mockery of Christ, force them to urinate on it, and then drag them round the church and force them to blaspheme the name and faith of the Holy Trinity. Those who refused were subjected to various punishments and eventually killed. Yeah. Now, if you're listening to this in the car, I would say with children present, you probably should push pause here. As for the Christian women, the Muslim invaders took virgins and made them public prostitutes. So, hear that. The Muslim invaders took virgins and made them public prostitutes. Mm -hmm. When I was reading this book, this book was written, I think, a year ago, a couple years ago. I was blown away at how this, the tactics of the Muslims or the Mohammedans have not changed. Yeah. It's, it's so eerily similar mm-hmm. to what happened, what Hamas did to Israel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Raping innocent women, doing things like that. This has been their MO from day one. Wow. Mothers were violated in the presence of their daughters, raped over and over again by different men, while their daughters were compelled not only to watch, but to sing obscene songs and to dance. They changed places, they, then they changed places, and the suffering, which is painful and shameful to speak of, was inflicted upon the daughters, while the filthy activity was adorned by the obscene songs of the unfortunate mothers. When the female sex was not spared, an action which might be excused since it at least is in accord with nature, they became worse than animals, breaking all human laws by turning on men. Their lust overflowed to the point that the exacerbable and profoundly intolerable crime of sodomy, which they committed against men of middle or low station, they also committed against a certain bishop, killing him. So they're raping women, raping men, raped the bishop, and killed him. Mm -hmm. This is the kind of stuff that they were doing. Yeah. This is the stuff they don't teach in school either. Yeah. Exactly. So this inspires the beginning of the Crusades. And a man here, well, a lot of people hear about it. They're inflamed. They're super angry. And they want to, they want to go in and free the Christians that are living in this in this area mm-hmm. and take over the Holy Land again for Christ. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And part of the, the reason for this was there would be pilgrimages that people would want to go back to the Holy Land and and the passage into those places was guarded. Obviously it's very dangerous because if you go into their place hostile territory, it's likely that all those that bad stuff that just got read off could happen to you and your crew. Yeah. And yeah. people want to go. Yeah now we don't we don't necessarily believe in pilgrimages, but many Christians have told me Jerusalem is amazing. Yeah. When you go and you you get in the Red Sea or you get in the Dead Sea and you walk where Jesus walked and you see all these, like people want it, they want the Bible to come alive. Right. And mm. they want to they want to do that. And it's really meaningful. To, to So people wanted to go back and be where Jesus walked. Yeah. Right. And now you couldn't even live there, mm-hmm. but to go back, you were going to, you were going to be probably murdered, or, right? Uh, yeah. Or worse, yeah. So this Godfrey of Bouillon, Godfrey of Bouillon, where did he come from? What, give a little bit of his lineage. Yeah, so we'd say he was descended from pretty good stock. He was uh, maternally descended from Charlemagne and Charles Martel. Charles, nickname, the Hammer. Hammer. <laughs> right. <laughs> Savage. I got to know more about this guy. Yeah. Charlemagne, I, I haven't done much study on Charlemagne. I've heard some stories about mm-hmm. him. I need to do some research on him. But Charles the Hammer yep. Martel, these guys were warriors. They were warriors and well-known as, as opponents of Islam. Yeah. 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 His father fought alongside William the Conqueror in the Battle of Hastings. His mother was a notable as a pious woman, funding monasteries and raising and nursing her own children, which was all but unheard of in that day and age. Um, 
he Godfrey of Bouillon was just basically known as the Duke. Yeah. That's what they called him, just yeah, the Duke. Sure. And um, like all future knights, Godfrey began military training before the age of 10. So his days were spent learning how to fight, including on horseback. Um, German chronicler Lambert of Hersfield said he was an energetic young man, very eager for military action. <laughs> William of Tyre says he was of tall stature, not extremely so, but still taller than the average man. He was strong beyond compare, with solidly built limbs and a stalwart chest. His features were pleasing, his beard and hair of medium build. And he was a man of deep religious character, mm -hmm. devout and God-fearing, merciful and just. He scorned the vanity of the world, yep. a tra trait rare at this time, or at his time of life, and especially in one belonging to the military profession. He was constant in prayer, assiduous in good works, and noted for his liberality in the mm -hmm. use of arms and in the practice of military tactics. He was in the judgment of all without peer. Another writer. Guy. What's that? I said, this is your kind of guy. He's yeah. a good dude. <laughs> yeah. He can use a sword and his Bible, he's right? He's a warrior priest. He's a warrior priest. He's, a pa he's not a pastor. He's a prayerful <laughs> man. He's a devout man. He's a pious man. Yeah. He's a virtuous man. He was known for many virtues, including mm -hmm. charity to the poor, mercy to wrongdoers, mm -hmm. humility, clemency, sobriety, justice, and chastity. In fact, the Duke demonstrated more of the qualities of a monk than he did of a scholar. However, he was not less experienced in secular virtues. He knew how to wage war. Mm -hmm. As a youth, he was first or among the first in learning to kill the enemy. Godfrey was, in short, a man totally devoted to God and war. Yeah. Amen. Oh, <laughs> That's good stuff right there, man. Goosebumps. Yeah. Sorry, Javin. <laughs> I should have called him Godfrey. Yeah. So what happens is Godfrey hears about this massacre He's aware of this massacre. He's aware of not just the massacre, but the ongoing persecution of Christians in the Holy Land. Mm. And he, well, first off, he's, he's in other battles first, right? Yeah. He's in other battles first, and he's, he proves himself in other battles. And then in 1095, um, Herb... Urban, I think that's the Pope, right? Yeah, Pope, Pope, Urban. Pope Urban. Pope Urban calls from Claremont, and he says this, What assistance, fellow warriors, can we hope for from God? We who, while his churches are perishing, not only do not come to their defense, but do not, do not even put, up, put forward any word of objection. Mm -hmm. So he's like, we have, we have warriors. Yeah. We're, we're supposed to be protecting these mm -hmm. Christian people. And... Thousands upon thousands of churches are being destroyed and mm -hmm. people are being killed. What are we going to do about it? Yep. Mm. We're all comfortable. See, Islam hadn't reached their borders yet. Mm. And so they're, they're like comfortable. Things are fine. Oh, that's happening way over in Jerusalem. It's not, not that big of a deal. I mean, it is a big deal, but all that, that's too bad. Yeah. But what does that have to do with us? Mm -hmm. And the Pope says, that has everything to do with us. That's right. your brothers and sisters in Christ. And what, what do you, you have, a, you have armies. They don't have armies. You have, yeah. you have warriors. They don't have warriors. Like, what are we going to do about it? Mm. And there's this idea in the Crusades of taking the cross. Yeah. And taking the cross means you're being basically anointed for battle. You're saying, I'm, I'm willing to go to battle to protect my fellow Christians. Mm -hmm. um, and it says this, the religious fervor... So, Godfrey also had brothers, Eustace and Baldwin, mm. and they all joined him and they took the cross. Yeah. And it says this, the religious further of their mother, whose teachings seemed to have had a lifelong influence on the brothers, were especially instrumental in their joining the first crusade. Mm -hmm. So domestic stay-at-home moms, mm -hmm. what kind of power do you have? Mm. The teaching of their mom, the discipleship of their mom, yeah. Yeah. raising them in the fear and admonition of the Lord mm -hmm. was a key factor of them saying, oh, no, not on our watch. Yeah. Like, God made me strong. God made me a warrior for a reason. We'll, we'll go. And to help fund this crusade, they sold or mortgaged much of their lands and properties, often cheaply. Mm -hmm. And this included Godfrey's castle of Bouillon. I mean... It says that they were moved by the hope of an eternal inheritance and by love and are preparing to fight for God in Jerusalem. Hear that. 
they're not going to Jerusalem for riches. They're not going just for conquered lands. They're not going to expand their kingdom. Mm -hmm. They're motivated by love, love for their Christian brothers. So they sold and relinquished all their stuff. I mean, they're funding their own war, basically. They're funding their own battle, right? And then on August 15th, 1096, Godfrey, at the head of 80,000 crusaders, 10,000 knights and 70,000 infantry, most of whom were Germanic and drawn from the regions of Belgium, Luxembourg, northern France, and the lower Rhine, set off for Constantinople, the gateway to Muslim-held Asia Minor, Mm. and thence to Jerusalem. So their goal was to get to Jerusalem. He also, quote, led with him in his train monks from well-regulated cloisters, religious men notable for their holy lives, During the entire pilgrimage, at the regular hours, night and day, these monks celebrated the divine offices for him after the custom of the church. Mm. So he didn't just bring warriors. He brought worshipers. He brought religious leaders. We would call them pastors today Mm -hmm. to lead them in the sacraments, to lead Mm -hmm. them in prayer, to lead them in worship. The entire time, they're gone. Right? He was a biblical godly man because he was focused in not just on war, but also to like feed the sheep in all areas of life. And I just 100%. think that's just very unique and, and great. Yep. So they start marching in, and on May 10, 000, 1097, the entire Crusader army reached Nicaea. Now, if you know Nicaea, that's just where we get the Council of, the Council of Nicaea happened in 325 AD, where we come up with the Nicaean Creed a creed that we still believe today, we still quote today. Sometimes we profess it in our own worship gathers, gatherings, and the crusaders begin to put it to siege on May 14th. So they're mm. taking back um, Nicaea, which had previously been held by Christians, and yep. they, were, they were freeing it from its Islamic um, oppressors. But the Muslims fought back violently. Yep. Said it this, quote, They shouted their warlike battle cry in the horrible tones of their language, shrill jihadist cries such as Allahu Akbar. Does that sound familiar? Mm -hmm. Same thing. Hasn't changed. Hasn't changed, right? They fired poisonous arrows. I mean, so the Turks were very violent and and this was a ugly, ugly battle. Mm Mm-hmm said this, during this time, a certain Turk described as a ferocious giant of most warlike spirit wreaked havoc among the Christians with his bow, all while hurling taunts and blasphemies. In this impudent manner, he was raging along the section of the wall, which the Duke and his cohorts were attacking. And Godfrey could not endure this ignominy, ignominy, ignominy. How do you say that? Ignomy. Ignomy. Thank you. This ignomy. He took a heavy bow, sought a suitable position, and directed his aim so accurately that the weapon pierced the vitals of the, that miscreant and he fell lifeless to the ground. Yeah. Mm. Good with the bow, and he's pretty good with the sword. <laughs> We're going to find out later. Um, so, yeah. we can, so we can see that he's a, a godly man, just kind of like bringing it down to the, the everyday language for a lot of people. Like, of course, you need a strong woman in the home and a man that's leading um, his family well. Um, but what does it look like for us to like raise up like warrior children? Yeah. Well, I think teaching them virtue, not Mm -hmm. just character, not just be a good boy, Mm -hmm. but fight the right fights, Mm -hmm. right? Be able to stand up to the bully, Mm -hmm. right? Like real, real virtue, courage. That's, that's a real Christian trait. We have, since World War II, we haven't had to fight much, Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know, we really haven't, you know, obviously the Iraq war, we just drove through town, didn't have to do much. Now, so obviously there was, there's been war since then that there's been some pretty brutal battles, but we need to raise men who, who rec- can recognize evil and they can stand against that evil. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that stops an evil man is a good man who's willing to get in his way and fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. Well, that, that even goes back to what Pope Urban talked about. It's like all this bad stuff's happening. Nobody's doing anything. Nobody's even saying and yeah. condemning that. I think that's part of it too. It's like helping our kids see good from evil. And not be, you know, kind of, I don't know, like uh, sort of pitter-pattering around what's really good and, you know, and what's really evil, but having like a strong word against that which is evil and not at all making any concession or willing to accept it and say, no, that that actually needs to be defeated. That needs to be conquered by Christ. There's certain places in in Africa right now 
that, I mean, Africa is where the most Christians are being killed in the world that mm. we know of right now. And they're being killed by Mohammedans, mm -hmm. Muslims. They're, there's still wars going on, right? Mm. And we're ra rather comfortable here in the United States. And we can get this idea like, oh, yeah, that, that will never happen to us, yeah. mm. right? Yeah. And it is more difficult to happen to us because we have a great land mass surrounded by a lot of water. We're far away from a lot of these, you know, Muslims, but some of them are trying to get into our country. Yeah. One way through an un, uh, an opened, an open border, an mm -hmm. open southern border. So I think for a lot of it is like, I mean, he talked about like being bold and having courage and all the things. So like, even even more into the details, should we teach our kids how to have do karate and box and like learn how to use guns and different things like that? Are those good things as well, just in case those things do happen? For sure. Yeah. Mark. Mm. Our Christian men, now it's a shame. Our women should not have to do that. Our women should not be trained in those things. Yeah. Well, you could train a woman to shoot a gun, or girls to shoot a gun. That's fine for mm -hmm. self-defense, but we shouldn't be sending them off to war. Mm -hmm. right. But when, they, um, when the Crusaders arrived around this area, they, they landed in Nicomedia, mm. and they encountered a horrific sight, quote, a mountain of considerable height and depth and width, to quote Anna Kamini made up entirely of the bones and decapitated heads of the participants of the People's Crusade. So people had heard that this was going on and they had kind of rallied, like, let's think of it like a, a militia. Men, women, and even children, we're going to go and we're going to do something about this. Mm -hmm. Well, they were not equipped. Mm -hmm. So as soon as they got there, they met the same fate. Yeah. The, the Muslims just killed them and chopped them up, cut their heads off and put them in a massive, I mean, thousands of people in a big old pile. Mm. So when Godfrey gets there, he sees this. He sees mm. Christian heads decapitated. And so one of the things he does when he's sieging Nicaea is he starts cutting off the heads of Muslims and launching them with his catapult into the city yep. to let them know you did this to our people. Well, this is what's happening to you. Yep. And we're here. And we're here. <laughs> yeah. We're here. And we're here. Just... Yeah. Savage. Yeah, yeah. Just savage. So they capture Nicaea and then they they keep moving. They're they're moving towards Jerusalem. One of the crazy things that happened as Godfrey wins this great battle, he's and they're going up, but the, one of the things that's happening right now is they're starving. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the guys take off their their night apparel, their, their armor, and they get their bow and they go out into the field, or I mean in the woods to, to hunt deer, to feed the people, to feed the army, right? And Godfrey's out in the woods and with these guys, he's riding his horse and he sees one of them get attacked. Well, they heard this crazy roar and this guy's getting eaten or he's getting attacked by a man-eating bear, mm -hmm. a, a, a giant bear. Yeah. So Godfrey jumps off his horse he starts with his sword. He starts fighting the bear. The bear like rips his throat and he accidentally cuts his own leg and severs an artery. And the bear like gets on top of him. And then right, you know, at the last moment, he, he gets his sword and yeah. shoves it all the way up to its hilt in this bear. And then one of his other troops comes over and finishes the bear off. So Godfrey killed a bear with his bare hands almost, you know, yeah. with, with just a sword, yeah. a giant bear. It said that they... Um, where, where, where is it? Oh, he, it says that they ended up eating him. Mm -hmm. they, eat, they ate this bear, and it, you know, it fed a, like a large amount of mm -hmm. the, uh, or they carried it back to camp with, when loud wails erupted, and they were, they said, at least the emaciated pilgrims had the bear's carcass to feast on, yeah. saying that they had never seen anything <laughs> like it in its size. A little bear steaks wow. for lunch. Bear steaks, <laughs> dude. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, but he takes, this is all, uh, basically a, almost a mortal wound. Mm -hmm. It takes him, they don't, we don't hear anything about him for several months at a time yep. because he, he, but he does, he fully recovers from his injuries, which is kind of like a miracle. Yeah. And he begins to, um, to continue to fight. Get back to it. Yeah. And there's more things. It says, uh, the, the Armenian, Armenian citizens whom those same Turks had long oppressed with slavery and who were with them within those same defenses called to mind the injustices which they had borne from those same Turks for a long time, the rape of their wives and daughters, the other crimes they committed, 
the levying of unjust tributes, and now relying on the arrival and support of the Western Christians, they attacked the Kurts, Kurt Turks and killed them with the sword's edge. They cut off their heads and threw them from the windows and the walls and opening the city gates to the Christian brothers, they delivered it up safe by the massacre of the Gentiles. Yeah. Sheesh. Brutal. Yeah. Well, then you get to Antioch. Now, Antioch is important. They, so they keep on marching. They get to Antioch. Antioch in the New Testament, that's where Christians are first called Christians in yeah. Acts 11, 26. It's one of Christendom's greatest cities. Yeah. And <clears throat> the Turks captured it in 1084. And so they start fighting there. And it's interesting because the, uh, you know, the, the ton, tons of Christians have been killed in that city by the Turks. But once the Crusaders arrived, with the Franks looking on, they threw outside the walls the heads of those killed with their catapults and slings. This especially grieved our people. So they were, set, they were sending out the heads of the Christians. So these Turks ki had killed all these Christians inside Antioch, and they, they threw out, this is like a common practice, yeah. they threw out the heads with a catapult mm. to scare off Godfrey. Yeah. And it says this, but the Crusaders were a different breed of Christian than the Muslims were accustomed to. That's what I'm talking about. Mm. They weren't just going to take it and turn the other cheek and let them rape their women anymore. Mm. Far from being cowed by these macabre missiles, they responded in like manner by catapulting into the city the decapitated heads of several Turks they had fought and killed before its walls. Others, other Muslims were impaled upon stakes and set before the city. Yep. So they were, they were not going to, to back down. And Godfrey, before he sieges um, this city, before he sieges Antioch, he gives this speech. He says to his men, we are followers of the living God and Lord Jesus Christ, for whose name we serve as soldiers. The Muslim men are gathered in their own strength. We are gathered in the name of God. Let us trust in his favor and not hesitate to attack the wicked and unbelieving foe, because whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Mm -hmm. No fear. Yep. And then this is when Godfrey does one of his, one of the things he's most no known for. In this battle, as men are watching, he decapitates, like he's fighting these Turks. They've got helmets on and he's cutting, he's cutting heads off left and right. Mm -hmm. He's just a stud with the sword. And then there's this Turkish chieftain. He was bolder than the rest, unusually heavy built and of greater strength. He saw the Duke savaging his men mercilessly. So this guy, basically the chief warrior of the Turks, sees the Duke cutting heads off, mm -hmm. and he's like, okay, I'm going to go take this guy out, and I'm going to read this. <clears throat> so the Muslim urged his horse toward him with bloodstained spurs and lifted his sword high. He sliced through the whole shield of the Duke, which he held above his head. So he swings down on the Duke and cuts his shield in half. If the Duke had not parried the blow with the boss of his shield and twisted over to the other side, he would have paid the debt of death. The duke, ablaze with furious anger, prepared to return the blow and thus aim for his neck. He raised his sword and plunged it into the left side of his shoulder blade with such force that it split the chest down the middle, slashed through the spine and vital organs, slippery with blood, came out unbroken above the right leg. So he cut him from his left shoulder down to his right hip. He cut him in half with his sword, diangular. That was a strong boy right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this, of course, it was a great victory that allowed the Christians to tighten the noose around the city, which nonetheless continued to hold out. So the Duke was a bad man. Hmm. A good man. I mean a good man, but I mean a bad man. He was tough a guy. He was a tough guy. Yeah. He was a dangerous man. And this is interesting. The Egyptians see what's going on, and they come in, and they're trying to negotiate. And this is the stuff the Egyptians said. The emissaries said were, they were amazed that you should seek the sepulcher of your Lord, sepulcher of your Lord, as armed men, exterminating their people, the Muslims, from long-held lands, indeed butchering them at sword point, something pilgrims should not do. So the, Egypts, the Egyptians are coming over, and they're saying, you guys aren't acting like Christians. The Christians we know are just really nice people. They were easy to subjugate. They were easy to rape. They were easy to kill. You guys shouldn't be doing this. 
we've had this, we've had these lands for a long time. They had had them for a little while, right? But that didn't change the fact that they were once Christian lands and that they were still mm. raping and murdering Christians. And the book says, of course, the dip, these diplomats said nothing about what their people had been doing, the Muslims, to Christian pilgrims. That is extorting them, raping, raping, torturing, and massacring them, which is what occasioned the first crusades in the first place. So this guy, the result was just a bloodbath, basically. Yeah. Yeah. An absolute bloodbath. And this, you know, they just keep moving through. Um, by the time the crusaders took Antioch, now this is the bad thing. Once they took the city, they got in, and there was like hardly anything left inside mm -hmm. the city. The food had all been eaten, and so now they're in dire straits. They're, they're starving, yeah. there's no water, and they, they were... They were forced to eat the leather from, from their shoes and drink horse blood yep. in order to survive. Um, they eventually fight their way out, or they, they take the city, they fight their way out, and they continue to make their way um, to Jerusalem. <clears throat> and it's interesting. One of the first things he does, they, they, they take communion and they offered themselves to die if, for God if he should wish. So they're like, well, maybe we're not going to make it, but yeah. this is worth fighting for. Yeah. It says, never expecting the outnumbered and weakened Franks to sally forth and meet their much larger and well-rested army, the Muslims were shocked, doubly so as the desperate Christians fought with feral fury, mm -hmm. feral fury. Contemporary accounts speak of knights bristling like porcupines with arrows, darts, and javelins, but still moving forward and fighting ferociously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they're riddled with arrows, and they're still just fighting yeah. like... It's not like they fall, oh, my, sprained my ankle, I can't do it. It's like they're going through it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So eventually, they make it to the Holy Land in 1099, and they, they start fighting they start uh, the war for Jerusalem, mm -hmm. right? And this is historian Mary Colvin summarizes the Duke's and other pilgrims' reaction on reaching the Holy City. Never before or since in the history of the world probably has a scene of such intense emotion on so large a scale been seen mm -hmm. or have such transports, transports of joy and reverence been witnessed. Strong, stalwart men who had endured untold suffering and privations to behold this sight sobbed aloud some cast themselves on their knees in prayer. Others kissed the earth on which they stood in ecstasy of rejoicing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. They knew what they were fighting for. Yeah. And they got there and they were just over, overjoyed that yeah. they had made it. But they still had a, uh, a great battle mm. in store mm -hmm. in, in Jerusalem. Um, <clears throat> William of Tyre captures this kind of pre-battle zeal of the Western warriors on the morning of July 14th. Quote, at daybreak, according to arrangement, the entire Christian army stood before the city, fully armed and ready for attack. One single purpose fired the hearts of all, either to restore Jerusalem or to the enjoyment of Christian liberty or to give up their lives for Christ's sake. There was not one person in that great throng, whether aged or sick or even young, who did not fervently and zealously long for battle. Even women, regardless of sex and natural weakness, dared to assume arms and fought man manfully far beyond their strength. Mm -hmm. Thus the Christians advanced with one accord to battle. All tried to push the newly constructed engines closer to the wall so that they might more easily attack those who were putting up a strenuous resistance on the ramparts and towers. So one, I guess one of the things I skipped over in that was so Jerusalem had walls around it that they're, you know, everybody's up high and they're aiming down arrows or lofting stuff at them. And one of the things that, that Duke Godfrey did is he, he built these portable towers yep. so they could get to eye level and mm -hmm. fight kind of an even battle. And so they'd, they'd build them up, fight for a little bit, win, move down to the next spot. So they kept doing yep. this. And so the, all these... And the Muslims were like trying to set these things on fire. Yeah. And so... Godfrey build, built fires closer to the wall so that the smoke from the fires would yeah. get in their eyes. Yeah. I mean, he was a brilliant strategist. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. So it was a pretty crazy battle. And they won, right? Yeah. They won. 
And it said, um, it was impossible to look upon the vast numbers of the slain without horror. Mm -hmm. Still more dreadful was it to gaze upon the victors themselves, mm -hmm. dripping with blood from head to toe, an ominous sight which, which brought terror to all that met them. Just head to toe, covered in blood. Yeah. In the end, this is how it was described by Edward Gibbon. Godfrey of Bouillon stood victorious on the walls of Jerusalem. His example was followed by every, on every side by the emulation of valor. And about 460 years after the conquest of Omar, the holy city was rescued from the Mohammedan yoke. Yeah. Sheesh. And listen, the first thing Godfrey does when he enters Jerusalem says this, quote, prayer rather than bloodshed befitted mm -hmm. their first hours in Jerusalem and set the example to the others by withdrawing from the carnage and going barefooted, clad simply in a clean linen garment yeah. to the sepulcher of our Lord to return thanks that he had thus allowed them to accomplish their pilgrimage and fulfill their vows. Mm -hmm. Godfrey was followed by all. Yeah. So he's not, they're not, this, there's a big difference here. You're not going in, you're not raping the ones that are still alive. No. Nope. You're not mercilessly killing people. You're not raiding for gold. They get there, they take off their warrior garments, and they go in for prayer. And they want to go to the tomb of the Lord. Yeah. Mm. That's good. Mm. It says, Henceforth, Allah Akbar was no longer heard in the city. It was replaced by the returning sounds of Christ conquers, rules, and commands. Amen. So, now, this is Godfrey. We don't really know. Godfrey later dies. Yep. I mean, years later he dies. He becomes the, is, it, is he the king? Is he called the king of Jerusalem? Well, he was reluctant to take the title king of Jerusalem. Yeah, because he says no king but Christ. Yeah. Right. And so he, he effectively is, is the ruler, or he's the duke or whatever, of that area. He's yeah. in charge. Yeah. But he didn't want to take that title. How bad? How, that is. He lays it down. Next level. Don't call me king. There's yeah. only one king of the city, and that's Christ. Yes. Mm -hmm. Shh, I'll be Duke. Defender of the sepulcher. Defender of the sepulcher, name. yeah. That was his, I guess, he was, he was essentially voted into, we want you to be king. And he essentially said, the only way I'm going to take this is if you call me defender of the sepulcher. So awesome. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> awesome. Cool. But then later on, uh, many years later, he dies. That His death is surrounded with, you know, Confusion. Speculation. Speculation. Mm -hmm. yep. Some people think he was poisoned. Some people think he died of natural causes. There's a lot arrow. of... What's that? An arrow. An arrow, a poisoned mm -hmm. arrow, you know. So there, we don't really know how he died. Um, one of the things I thought was interesting was Mark Twain mm -hmm. in 1867 explored the Holy Land with a group of other Americans. And while visiting the Holy Se Sepulchre, he said this, the relic that touched us most was the plain old sword that stout crusader Godfrey of Bouillon, king of mm -hmm. King Godfrey of Jerusalem. No blade in Christendom wields such enchantment as this. No blade of all that rust in the ancestral halls of Europe is able to invoke such visions of romance in the brain of him who looks upon it. None that can prate of such chivalric deeds or tell such brave tales of the warrior days of old. This very sword has cloven hundreds of saccharine knights from crown to chin in those old times when Godfrey wielded it. I can never forget old Godfrey's sword now, he said. Mm -hmm. That's just bad. That's just yeah. amazing. Well, it's Mark Twain, and I've never even heard of this guy. Hmm. You know, it's like, come on. <laughs> My history teachers, dude, you should have taught me something about Lacking. this. It almost feels like it's fairy tale. You like a story too big, too crazy, too outlandish to be real. In fact, it reminds me of the, there's a, I think it's kind of a kid's book, but it's called Redwall. That same sort of story of this enchanted sword and yeah. the power to wield. And like, it's just fascinating. Yeah. But it's like real history. This yeah. is part of Christian heritage. Mark Twain is not a Christian. And here's what Mark Twain wrote 5,000 men, women, and children were butchered indiscriminately and left to rot by hundreds all throughout the Christian quarter of Damascus. Yeah. The stench was dreadful. All the Christians who could get away fled from the city and the Mohammedans would not defile their hands by burying the infidel dogs. Mm -hmm. The thirst for blood extended to the highlands of Hermon and anti-Lebanon, and in a short time, 25,000 more Christians were massacred and their possessions laid waste. How they hate a Christian in Damascus and pretty much all over Turkeydom as well. Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And how they will pay for it when Russia burns her guns upon them again. 
man, that's what Twain wrote yeah. in 1861. Yeah. This Fascinating is, guy. He, yeah. William Attire writes, for no one can doubt that one who was unanimously singled out as the best by famous princes who are said to be unequaled in the world was a very great man indeed. Amen. Godfrey of Bouillon, mm. the defender of the Holy Sepulchre. So, man, what, what do you think about this, Alex? My thing is, like, that's just the start of it. That's just one guy, and that just gets you amped up to just continue to read the book, and it yeah. gets you locked into the, the Christian history of, like, what it took for bold men to move forward um, for the mission of God. Yeah, and what I just love is this is not some rampaging psycho. Mm-hmm. This is not some guy that's just looking for a fight, yeah. and he's just some bully or he's some tyrant. This is the definition of gentleness. Yeah. Chivalry. Like, incredible strength under control. Yeah. Did he do some things that we would, we would say are, you know, questionable as launching heads into the... Well, maybe, but they're launching heads at you, yeah. right? They're right. trying to... And this is, this is basically uh, mental warfare. Mm-hmm. When they do that, they're wanting to terrify you. They're yeah. wanting you to say, you know, we have no standards. We're, we'll do, this is what we're going to do to you. And he was willing to meet that evil and say, okay, we'll do it to you as well. Mm-hmm. Like, like we're, we're here to fight. Yeah. Like, we're fight. This is hand-to-hand combat sword with swords. We'll, we'll do it to you as well. Yeah. yeah. And, um, man, I, I think it is an inspiring example. I think we need to be men. Now, this is going to be kind of questionable or, or controversial. Men need to be capable of extreme violence. Mm-hmm. Yep. They need to be capable of it under control of the spirit, under control of Christian virtue. But if evil men rise up, good men have to do something. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. And you have to meet equal force with equal force. Mm-hmm. Right? Or, or the o- here's what people don't understand. The only other option is to be killed, annihilated, and conquered. Mm-hmm. And Christ, like we're here to make disciples, yeah. but you, you can... To make disciples, you need to have certain levels of freedom right. to be able to even do that, right? Yep. right? And we've got to be men and women who, who are willing to do hard things right? That's right. to make sure that yeah. freedom happens. It's good. Right. It's a good start. All right, good start. Hopefully you guys uh, weren't completely freaked out by this. You might have been. <laughs> Dudes, hopefully you were inspired and, and, and <laughs> pumped up. So we hope this was a blessing to you. If you've got questions, yeah. I mean, this can bring up all kinds of questions. So please email me, justindean at sacredcitychurch.com or email sam at sam at sacredcitychurch.com. Uh, we love you guys. We're praying for you. God bless. Yeah.